my husband laughs at me because I have the ever toppling nightstand. (laughs) (laughs) Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 194. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. For today's guest, Nicole Mackey, a clear and driving plot isn't the most important thing. She loves beautiful, introspective writing that makes her think about everyday emotions. As a writer herself, she likes getting into the author's head. And she also spent a year roaming a hotel doing a job that sounds like it belongs in the pages of a novel. Today, she's sharing some of the stories she heard during her time there and the literary community-building project she started and has continued to this day. If I'm being vague, it's because Nicole tells her own story so well, and I don't want to spoil it, but I will say that I think you'll get plenty of tips for choosing your next book club read. Let's get to it. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. I'm so excited to talk to you. When we saw your submission, we were so intrigued at What Should I Read Next headquarters about your experience running a book club in a Milwaukee hotel. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about what it is you do at the Fister. It sounds fascinating. So the Fister is kind of the Midwest answer to the European Grand Hotels in the 1800s. It was built in 1893. I mean, it's gorgeous. Everything's historic. There's antiques everywhere. It's just a really beautiful place. Kind of to open it up more to the community, they created um, about 10 years ago, two residency programs, both year-long residencies. So one is for artists, could be any medium, and then one is for writers. And that's called the Fister Narrator. And so I was the Fister Narrator for 2017, 2018. You submit a proposal to kind of make the job your own. But what every narrator does is kind of roam around the hotel, meet with guests who are there for any reason, staying overnight or in the bars or restaurants and talk to them and then narrate their stories and the stories of the hotel. So as you can imagine, people are coming in and out with all kinds of stories and it doesn't have to be why they're at the hotel, could just be any piece of their life story. And then you write that in what creative fashion you would like to do. So for me, it was the best job in the world because I got to hang out in a beautiful place, talk to people and then write their stories. And then as part of my proposal, I wanted to kind of make the Fister known as like a literary hub in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. I created two like book themed parties. One was a Polar Express event at Christmas for kids. So we had about 200 kids. It was just like a special day of everything themed around Polar Express. We had dancers with hot chocolate. We created the train and the tracks in a ballroom and it was really fun. And then we also did an Alice in Wonderland themed Mad Hatter Tea Party. Those are my two big events over my year. And then my other focus was to create a monthly book club that meets at the Fister that's open to anybody in the community. Mm-hmm. And so now, just this last month, we've been meeting for two years as a book club. That's amazing. How did you first find out about this program? I had heard about it through some of my writer and artist friends in Milwaukee and was nervous to apply because it sounded like my dream job and it's always nerve wracking to try for something you want so badly. I loved going there every day. It was perfect for me. At the Fister, if you could tell your stories in any creative fashion you chose, what did you end up doing? What does your final project look like? So mostly you're writing for the Fister's blog, but there was a lot of creative freedom to do things beyond that as well. So 
the year that I was there, her name is Margaret Musa. She was the artist in residence at the same time. And she Mm -hmm. takes tintype photographs, cameras from the Civil War era. Mm -hmm. So she and I actually worked on a collaboration together all year where whoever would wander into her studio at a certain time every week where I was waiting there, we would work together where she would take their tintype. And I would write their story. So you never knew who was going to come or what their story was going to be. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the year, we had a big party in a ballroom where we invited all the guests who had been part of that project. And at the end, we had like 40 some portraits with matching stories. And we kind of did a gallery where we had their portraits and my stories next to each other. And that was open to the community as well. So that was a really neat project. It challenged me as a writer because I never knew who was going to come or what they were going to talk about. I'd love to hear what kinds of stories you were hearing from guests. The Fister is known as, you know, the most beautiful hotel in Milwaukee. So people come there for momentous occasions like weddings and anniversaries. So sometimes I'd have a couple who got married there 50 years ago and would want to talk about that. Or sometimes I'd have a businessman who wanted to talk about the baby he just had at home and it wasn't Fister related at all. Could Mm -hmm. be anything. And so I really loved following the thread of what somebody was talking about to find the story and to help guests also realize that usually we think we need this like earth-shattering story to be interesting and really everybody's mm-hmm. life is interesting. It's just finding what that is for you and when somebody is excited about something, their passion sparks in what they're saying. And so I really challenged myself over the year to help people realize the beauty in their own stories. And so that's what was special about the end of the year project as well as people who had just wandered into a studio and then became part of this big project in a fancy hotel, brought their families and were really proud to say, look, this little piece of my story is is really beautiful. And I may not have even known that before I just wandered in that day. In a completely unrelated way, I'm amazed at how much that sounds like, what should I read next? Because sometimes we hear from listeners, why don't you have any regular readers on the show? You know, just ordinary people who don't do books professionally or whatever. I think it's so funny to hear that question because we do the majority (laughs) of the time. And what I always tell people is when you have somebody talking about something that's meaningful to them, that they're really knowledgeable about and passionate about, they sound riveting to listen to. They sound like an expert, even though this person wouldn't consider them themselves to be special or an expert in the field or a professional book person. They're just someone who loves to read and has cultivated a reading life that they're excited to talk about. I'm just really seeing the similarity between your project there at the Fister. That's fascinating. Yeah. I'd love to hear about like a particularly memorable story. Actually, one of my favorite pieces was Um, His name is Lander. He works at the Fister in the main lobby area. He's a porter there, which is an old-fashioned word for somebody who makes you comfortable in the Mm -hmm. lobby bar. He stumbled in one day when just to visit with us because he worked there and Margaret took his portrait and I wrote his story and he actually is suffering from kidney failure and is on the donation list. But I didn't want to focus on that in the story. I wanted to focus on just his immense kindness and how even when he shares about something that other people would really think of as deep suffering. He spends his professional life and his personal life just caring for others. That was really special to me because I got to know him better through telling his story and also share about if anybody wanted to potentially donate. He really loved the piece and framed it and put it on his wall in his house. And so now whenever I see him, we just have like a really special connection because 
he shared something so personal with me and I, I really respected and was honored by that. So that was a special one. Is there any place where readers can see either in person or in photos online the work you did? Yes, it's on the Fister blog, which you can get to off of the Fister webpage. There's like a narrator section on the webpage. We will put that link in show notes so readers can just click on it. Nicole, I've never been to Milwaukee, but I'm really eager to go because I've heard great things about the city and the ballpark and the food scene and also the literary scene. Do I have good reasons to want to come visit (laughs) or is it all hype? Milwaukee is sort of what I think what the charm of it is, is it's a decently sized city, but it feels like a small town. It's easy to navigate around. The downtown is really beautiful. We have the lake there. Boswell Books is a really wonderful bookstore, right? right on the lake. That's our like beloved jewel of a bookstore in Milwaukee. So yeah, I would definitely go there if you come. Do I have to stay at the Fister? <laughs> you should. If I came on a book club night, could I just buy my ticket and attend? Tickets close 48 hours ahead of time. We can always tweak that. <laughs> Does that have to do with the desserts? Tell us about the desserts. Yes. Part of my idea for this book club was to open up the Fister to people who live in Milwaukee and thought of it just as a destination for overnight guests and not for locals. Mm-hmm. I felt like book clubs tend to be where you already know somebody or the whole group. So maybe a group of church friends get together or a group of neighbors. And I kind of wanted a book club where nobody knew anyone else. And so I opened it up to the community and that's been really fun. People come maybe with one friend and then meet 50 to, we've had up to 90 guests. It's just fun. We have big round tables to sit down and talk to people that you may never see again about a book. And I think it makes the conversations really interesting. The theme desserts, I partner with the Vista Pastry Chef every month and I just give him little tidbits about the setting of the book or if there was a specific dessert mentioned or the theme. And then he kind of runs away with it creatively and makes a themed dessert just for that evening that fits with the book somehow. So we all sit around at our tables and eat our book-themed dessert and chat and make new friends. And it's been really special. So give me an example of what kind of dessert you'd have to go with a certain book. First book we ever did two years ago was A Gentleman in Moscow, which was the perfect book to start with. So he did like a Russian cake for that one. So sometimes it's a really easy, he picks something that's from the setting that the book takes place in. One that was really creative that I sticks out in my mind was we did this Snow Child by Eowyn Ivy this past winter. And he created, it was like six different sections on the plate. The dish that held all the pieces together looked like it was ice crystals, but it was made of sugar. And then he had like snow and edible gold. Parts were blue and looked like a skating rink, but it was all edible dessert. And so when everybody came into that one, that was like a showstopper and really special in January in the dead of bleak winter to come talk about a beautiful book and eat something like that was really fun. That sounds amazing. I read that what you all sought to cultivate there was non-stuffy literary discussion. Yes. Tell me about that. I didn't want people to feel like it was going to be a very academic book club because it takes place in the Fister. I wanted people to think that it was for all readers. That was really important to me. So I always tell the book club participants, you're not going to like every book. There's really no way you could each month because I try to vary them so widely 
that some months you're going to come and you're going to take over your table on the discussion because you can't stop talking about that book. And hopefully the next month, it'll be totally different people who are raving or moaning about the book. (laughs) So I tried to make it so that people weren't intimidated and felt like there was a place for them. I think also one of the perks of a book club is reading things that you would never read. And so helping people understand that it's good to not like a book, sort of like on your show, you talk about books we don't like. I think that's really important to help people understand. So what, you didn't like the book, come anyways, tell us why you didn't like it. And it'll probably be your favorite discussion in the long run. That's so interesting. And so true. How did you choose books? So my husband laughs at me because I have the ever toppling nightstand (laughs) (laughs) and actually your show has helped me a lot bookstagram has helped me a lot to pick up things that I wouldn't um, normally do that my sister and I started an Instagram together and that helps me fish around for more books I try to read things for book club to choose that I wouldn't read myself so that I hold myself to the same standards of branching out When I read something that I feel like isn't too polarizing or political, but is just on the edge of controversial that people will want to open up about their own take on it, their own stories, their own lives, then I know it's going to be a good discussion. And that's worked really well. What are some books that have really done that? We read The Veins of the Ocean by Patricia Engel early on, which was sort of an ease-in to talk about refugees and immigration in a way that didn't take a political polarizing direction. And I felt like that I did that one of the first few months to kind of demonstrate to people who came, we're going to go some interesting places in these discussions. Hopefully you won't feel uncomfortable and you'll be able to get a different perspective from the person sitting next to you in a way that feels safe and still fun. Has anything bombed in book club? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's one that's like notorious. People talk about it, even though it was like a year and a half ago. I love Nicole Krause and I actually almost chose her book, A History of Love, for one of my three to talk to you about because it is, I, I, I adore that book. I've read it many times. So when her book Forest Dark was coming out, it was in the first two or three months of me starting this book club. We needed to publicize the book mm-hmm. club with the books that were coming up and it hadn't come out yet. And I didn't have time to pre-read it, which I've never done since because when we got that book, it was so heady and odd, really intellectual and like really a niche book on very unlike History of Love, I thought, that everyone hated it, <laughs> like down to the person everyone. They were telling me when they were still coming into the ballroom, how much they hated it. And that was so early on in the book club. I thought, oh no, they're not going to trust my selections. So I was grateful that book club guests gave me another chance and kept coming back. And we haven't had such a bomb as that since. But was it a good discussion? Um, it would have been, it was an okay <laughs> discussion. It would have been a better one if people, un, I feel like people were so confused by that book. They almost didn't even know what uh-huh. to say. <laughs> did people finish it? Most did. And that's another good thing about a book club is it kind of keeps you accountable to continuing on, forging on when you may have quit and maybe the end surprises you. I loved the history of love as well, but oh wow, it's plot is really intricate. Yes. Just thinking about untangling that makes my head hurt a little bit, but I loved it. That being said, I think I only read 50 pages of Forest Dark. It sat at the bottom of my nightstand stack for a long time before I finally was like, am I really going to read this? And then it moved, but the bookmark did not. So now do you read the books first? 
Yes. Now I read them and make sure that, you know, I've read to the last page. I've thought about them and choose them more wisely. (laughs) Yes. What are you all reading right now? The book for August is Circe by Madeline Miller. Do you lead the discussion? Yes. So I write the questions, pass them out. So since we have so many people, we're meeting in, you know, multiple tables, filling up a ballroom. Mm -hmm. So I write and pass out the discussions and then I just kind of bounce around to the different tables and listen in and guide a little bit, but tables kind of direct themselves. And that's really fun too, to see people kind of step up and lead a book club discussion Maybe just for that one month that maybe someone has never done that before. So now when you're looking for a book club reads, what elements are you looking for? I'm trying to vary really widely with the books that we've read in that season. So I take into account what we've been reading, what's coming up and try to make each month very, very different. So for example, we're, we're about to read Cersei. In July, we just read Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid, which is buzzier and like more um, Mm -hmm. light in some ways than books I usually choose. But so those two books are so different. So I try to do that. Um, I try to pick something that's usually new enough that hardly anybody has read it or old enough that maybe nobody's read it, if that makes sense, that it's so far in a backlist that it's not going to be like everyone you know, already can talk about that Mm -hmm. book really Mm -hmm. easily. It does. It totally makes sense. Where do people get the books? Do they bring their own? Yeah, they bring their own. We partner with Boswell Books in Milwaukee. So they have like a book club wall and it says the Fister's reading this and they can pick it up there. If you notice conversation at a table is floundering, do you have Mm -hmm. tried and true strategies for stepping in and helping kickstart a good discussion? Yeah, I think people come to book club for two reasons. They love reading and they love discussing books and discussing how the book collides with their own story. And so if I see that somebody's kind of going off on a tangent and everybody's sort of, you know, shutting down or they've been kind of harping on one question too long or anything that can happen in a book club, I kind of pop in and sort of shoot out a more personal question that still links to the book. And that usually gets it jump started because people usually have a pretty visceral response to a good book. And they usually have a personal reason for that response. And so it's kind of a tried and true way to sort of personalize it, maybe more than the questions I have printed on the page. And that's worked really well. Nicole, you said that the books you chose for book club were on purpose different from the books you would gravitate to on your own. How so? Well, I'm a writer, so you'll probably see in the books that I chose, I love very lyrical writing, which can tend to, in most books, um, make for a very slow plot. And I'm fine with that personally as a reader. That's actually what I love. And I do sprinkle those types of books in at book club, but there are many readers who need a more fast moving plot or crazier characters than I would need personally. And I can't just pick my, this book, the writing is so beautiful. (laughs) I can appreciate that. Did, Did you intuitively know the difference between slower lyrical books that you would tend to choose and what would make a good book club selection for a group such as yours? Or was that a process of discovery? early on, I probably chose too many of those. And I do think it's important sometimes to just read for the writing. I think to help people understand that writing is a craft 
And if a book looks like it was easy to write, it was probably hard to write. That, <laughs> that probably took a lot of work to make it look so effortless. And so I do try to sprinkle in things that are just for the writing every once in a while. So the jewel of a book is when something's beautifully written, great plot. And then I know like, this is a book club book and I choose that right away. And then everybody's happy. Not just the English majors. <laughs> Are there books that you love and adore that you would never choose for book club? The first one that I'm going to talk about is one of those that it's just beautiful writing. And if I chose it, everybody would say, nothing <laughs> happened in this book. Okay, Nicole, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you're reading now. And then we'll talk about what you may enjoy reading next. And now tell us, what is this first book you love that book club would hate? This is Alphabet of Grace by Frederick Buechner. Frederick Buechner is actually, he's 93 right now, and he's a Presbyterian minister. This was the first book I ever read by him. He's written many, many books that I've read them all since. But I read this 15 years ago when I was running a um, nonprofit for youth by day and bartending in a volleyball shed by night. And I read this in the volleyball shed and was just like, bawling as people were coming up to get their pictures of beer. I was just like tears streaming into my neck, like, here you go. Because this book just moved me so much. It's a poetic reflection on a single day, broken up into like three meditations. Kind of, if, if I would summarize, if it has a point, it's that there's grace in the mundane things of life. But the writing is so beautiful. This book just caught me so off guard. I still remember that experience in that volleyball shed. It, it, it was so beautiful. It just stopped my heart. And I've since read everything he's written and reread that book many, many times, but nothing happens in it. I mean, as far as what we expect these days from a plot, it's sort of just thinking through how beautiful each of our days are and the grace that comes in breakfast and little things like that, really moving and not very fast paced. That's fascinating because I think I also read this about 15 years ago and I don't remember it having a plot. I would have told you this is a book with no plot. Yeah. <laughs> I remember really appreciating his writing and his really interesting way to approach his subject because he does use the alphabet and it's not at all like juvenile. I would never have picked it up by the title, by the really boring <laughs> cover. I didn't know who he was. I mean, he's a really well-known like spiritual writer, but I didn't know that at the time. And it's only like a hundred pages maybe. So I thought, oh, perfect to read while I'm bartending. And then I'm just like deeply moved to my core. <laughs> so I love that book, but it would be really hard to get, you know, 70 people to come to a hotel and discuss that. Well, and he goes really deep, really fast, doesn't he? I'm just imagining you dabbing at your eyes with cocktail napkins <laughs> while you wipe down the counter. Yeah. Nicole, what did you choose for your next favorite? Um, so this is a more well-known book. It's A Place for Us by Fatima mm -hmm. Farheen Mirza, which I actually did choose for book club right after it came out last summer. It's a debut and I actually heard about it on your show, Anne. You had recommended it to a couple people. It's about an Indian American Muslim family living in California. What I love about it, it's a quiet story, but done incredibly well. I could not believe how young the author was or that it was her debut. I just amazed by her writing. It's about the struggle that this family has between their traditions and the surrounding culture, 
But what I love about it is it doesn't just stay there. Like we're Muslims, how do we fit in? Which already would have been an interesting story. But it's also the story of how all families are, regardless of religion and tradition, how families hurt each other, they love each other, they have misunderstandings that balloon to lifetime misunderstandings. I loved it. I loved the characters. I want to reread it again, maybe in the fall, because it's been a while now and I just really love that book. I love that book as well. And now I'm remembering what you said about book club, how not everybody's going to love the same books and that's fine. It makes for interesting discussions. And yet it is fun when somebody mentions a favorite Mm -hmm. of yours. So for all the reasons you named, it is a quiet story. And I remember having a conversation with someone about that, who's a literary professional and knows her way around terminology and marketing and all that. We were talking right before she left for a vacation. And she said, okay, last question. I'm going to the bookstore. I need a book to pick up. What's the best thing you read recently? And this was a year and a half ago. I said, ooh, a place for us. Pick it up, pick it up. And she's like, I don't know. I heard it's quiet. And I thought that might be code for boring. Can I take it to the beach? And I said, no, 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 it's, it, is, <laughs> it is quiet, but it's so good. I am excited to see if a book I recently read will be a good fit for you because I think it's so similar to A Place for Us. I've been waiting for the right guest, Nicole, and I think you might be the one. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Tell me about the third book you love. The third book I chose was The Blind Contessa's New Machine by Carrie Wallace. Great name. Yes, the cover is beautiful. We just did this one at Book Club a few months ago, probably in May, but it's an older book. I stumbled on this book at a writing conference. Carrie Wallace was there. This was the first book she wrote. She was also in her 20s and I picked it up because of the cover. And it was like one of those books that just unexpectedly sneaks up on you and you read this and you're like, how is not everyone loving this book? Why have I never heard of this? It's the story of the invention of the typewriter in Italy. Uh, Contessa is going blind and this kind of eccentric, quirky inventor who's in love with her creates the typewriter for her so that she can communicate as she's going blind. And it's kind of written in vignettes. It's really gorgeously written. The, The setting is really lush the story is, again, I would say it's not plot driven. I think that's why I like it. You know, we all are interested in like the invention of literary objects like the typewriter. And then it's just kind of one of those books where you can smell the lemon groves, you can taste what she's eating, and you can feel what she's feeling as she's steadily going blind. There was a lot to talk about at Book Club. And I've read this one many times as well. And I'm not a rereader. So if I read something more than once, it's like a big deal for me. I'm like, there's so many books in the world. <laughs> so if I reread it, it's it's really a deep love. This is a pretty slim book though, isn't it? Probably about the same as Alphabet of Grace, maybe, a, maybe 150 pages. Is this just a coincidence that the longest book you chose is about 300 pages or do you like to read short? Coincidence. Was it hard to choose the book that wasn't for you? No, because I really hate this book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Tell me all about it. Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. Everyone, when this came out, which I can't really remember when that was, maybe a few years ago, everybody was talking to me about this book because they know that I like read for writing and they were saying, you're going to love the writing in this book. I, I didn't really love the writing in this book. I thought it was okay. It wasn't so amazing to me that it moved me past the story that I really hated. <laughs> 
I felt like all the characters were so deeply, deeply unlikable that there was nothing I could bond to at all with them. And I'm fine with real life unlikable characters, but I felt like I just kind of couldn't stand either of the people in this marriage. I couldn't stand their marriage, the way they approached it. It's written in an interesting way where kind of the first half is the husband's take on their marriage and the second half is the wife's. And there's like this kind of big reveal about the wife and how she's related to things that you've read in the husband's half and the kind of the truth of things. But when the big reveal came, it just made me like everybody, just like them more. <laughs> also, I have a hard time with books that propose that all marriages have these terrible, dark secrets and you can never fully know somebody. And you're kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop if you're being real about marriages, because I just don't believe that. And so basically the whole book left me kind of feeling icky mm -hmm. and depressed and sad. I definitely didn't recommend it to any of my writer friends. <laughs> mm -hmm. Would you say it was well done? I would say it was well done and creative in its form. And I did appreciate that. I always think it's fun to hear people say, I read a book, I didn't like it, or I read a book and I didn't know what to make of it. And then I went to book club and we talked about it and it completely flipped the way. I felt about that book. I've heard people say that so often about Fates and Furies because they go to book club and they're like, oh, I didn't realize what the symbolism meant or I didn't realize what the author was doing or I didn't realize the depth of the relationships that I just missed. And when other readers pointed it out to me, it really changed the way I understood the book and really deepened my appreciation for the author. But that is not going to help you if you don't like the cynical take on relationships there. Yeah, and I'm fine with kind of a darker take, but I felt like this just veered into like ultra cynical. That just wasn't for me. For the record, Lauren Groff is such a lovely and delightful human. <laughs> I'm sure she is. What are you reading right now, Nicole? Um, I'm just starting Blackberry and Wild Rose by Sonia Velton. I saw this on Instagram and picked it up because the cover is really gorgeous. But the story is really interesting so far. It's about Huguenot silk weavers in the Spitalfields two women's stories kind of colliding. One's a maid and one's like her mistress, luxurious silk weaving, and then kind of the downstairs take from the maid. So I'm not too far in, but so far it's really interesting. I know there's several different directions we could go here, but what are you looking for in your reading life right now? Because I love really lyrical writing, uh, it's hard for me to find nonfiction sometimes. So I tend to read 10, 12 books of fiction before I will pick up one nonfiction. So I'd like to do more nonfiction. And also maybe it's because I'm trying to choose for book club, but I've sort of fallen into the trap of just looking at the newest, shiniest reads or, oh, my library holds are in. All those are new. I have to read those and not going back any farther than what's been published in the last year. So I'd like to read things that are a little older, maybe than just the new releases. Okay, Nicole, so the books you loved were An Alphabet of Grace by Frederick Beekner, The Blind Contessa's New Machine by Carrie Wallace, and A Place for Us by Fatima Mirza. And the book that wasn't for you was Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. You know a lot about your own reading life and what you're looking for. Have you found yourself to be pretty successful in choosing books you'll actually enjoy? Instagram, I think kind of floods me with so <laughs> many. <laughs> it's kind of hit and miss. You know, it, I think it's tricky if you follow so many people that you don't even recognize their voice as they're recommending something to you. And it's just a picture of somebody holding up a book next to some flowers. That doesn't necessarily help me choose 
Um, so I have maybe picked up more books because of Instagram that I would have never heard of, but I also tend to, I would say, put down more books because of Instagram. It's not just you. A lot of readers feel like they're just flooded with ideas and it can lead to a kind of readerly panic, like, oh, there's so many books and I don't have time for that. Yes. Have you found a successful way to handle that yet or is it still a work in progress? I think I've become more and more okay with putting books down very early on and remembering that towering stack on the nightstand and thinking I could trudge through and maybe this will get better in the middle, but there's too many books calling my name to do that. So I put things down earlier, I think, than I used to. Are you finding that to be a good strategy? Yeah. You know what you like, and then you know what you need to find for a book club. Will you be running that for the foreseeable future? Yes. Okay. So we're looking for lyrical writing, really beautiful prose. You're okay with slow plots. But if you could find lyrical writing and a book that has a strong plot that keeps you turning the pages, that can make a really excellent book club pick. Definitely. Well, I have good news and bad news. So I'm really excited to recommend this book to you that I think is perfect for readers who enjoyed A Place for Us. It's not a read-alike, but I feel like it has the same emotional quality to it. It's got that sad, wistful, complicated families, but hopeful tone, even when really bad things are happening. Although I will say that worse things happen in this book I'm about to recommend. I think we have to count it as brand new. So it came out June 18th, 2019, but you need some of those in your life. So we're going to do it. The book is called The Stationery Shop. It's by Marjan Kamali. This is a book that has been on my radar for a little bit. I think I thought it was going to be a lighthearted romance, and I don't know where I got that idea. It's completely wrong. This is a book that's written in a circle. So it opens in the present day. We meet a woman named Roya. She's 77. She's walking into a nursing home to see someone that she hasn't seen in, I'm going to say, 60 years. And we don't know who she is or why she's there or who she wants to see why it matters so much to her. And also, we don't know why now. Why does she need to see this person now? So from there, we go back in time to 1953 Tehran when Roya is 17 and she falls in love for the first time. And the stationery shop of the title, which does sell books and pens and journals and all those things, but also sells lots and lots of books. And it's the poetry of Rumi that is actually hugely important to this book. I saw your beautiful Instagram. I know you love those little every man's pocket poetry books. So I know they have a roomy one too. So you may be inspired to go out and get it if you haven't yet after reading this. But the stationery shop is also a bookstore. The owner of the shop is not only someone who loves books and it was important to him in a way that I did not see coming. It was really, really touching. It was important to him deeply personally that he opened this store. But he also is a political activist and he also takes a very active interest in romantic relationships among young people that might not be viewed with favor by their families. So Roya meets a boy in the shop and she falls in love. And Mr. Fockery, the owner, definitely facilitates this relationship. But in 1953, Tehran, the political situation is unstable. Thanks to a combination of family complications governmental unrest, including a coup, and circumstances completely beyond their control. Things go badly awry. 60 years later, you see how all the pieces come together. And 
the stationary shop is crucial to the whole process. The prose is really lovely. I actually listened to this on audio. I didn't read it on the page. It was wonderful on audio, but I didn't see the words on my page, but it sounded good in your ears. And the narrator did a great job with the story as well. She really brought it to life. But these are characters that you really come to care about deeply and you're so invested in their relationships and then terrible things happen and it's gutting. The way the author brings the pieces together, I didn't see coming, didn't expect, didn't feel schnookered or anything. was just like, oh, wow, that was really well done. She uses the voice and perspective in a really interesting way. Most of the story is from Roya's perspective, but we get little snippets of just a handful of outside voices that let you know what was really happening at the time and why things really did shake out the way they did. I thought it was such a wonderful effect. And I think as a writer, it'd be really interesting to see how that's done on the page and how it strikes you as a reader. How does that sound to you? That sounds amazing. I've never heard of this. I can't wait to read it. That sounds great. And this is just over 300 pages. So I know you said that's probably coincidence, but it is a good length for a book club read. And I do think this has that combination of lovely prose, carefully drawn, really engaging characters, and plot stuff happens in this book. So I think you could read it in book club as well. Yeah, that sounds wonderful. Also, there are themes there that people will really relate to and be able to talk about. First love and family interfering, and immigration, and political unrest. And there's there's a lot there. Oh, and food. Oh, there's so much food in this book. Your pastry chef could have a field day. <laughs> that sounds awesome. You can smell the saffron like blooming in the hot pan. That sounds great. Okay, that's my confident pick. Now we have some exploring to do, Nicole. You're interested in reading more nonfiction. Tell me what you have in mind, because options abound. You could read memoir or how-to books or histories or more philosophical reflections like Beekner. What are you thinking? I'd be up for all of that. I love memoir. I just haven't read much lately. I think the last nonfiction book I read was The Soul of an Octopus by Cy Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And I loved that because it was like a nonfiction take on, it sounds strange, but just about an octopus, (laughs) but told through like really touching stories. I like that. If something's going to explore a subject, that's kind of the form that I would gravitate to, but I'm pretty much up for anything. But what kind of subjects? Do you have any specific fields of interest or like the octopus, do you just love it when an author can make you see how something you hadn't really considered exploring before is fascinating? Yeah, I think that's it. And like another book I loved was The Orchid Thief. If you say, what is that about? It's just about orchids, which sounds strange. Like you're going to read 400 pages about orchids. But I felt like I was learning as I was hearing somebody who was passionate about the subject. And so that's really fun to me. And when that's happening and done well, I don't really care what the subject is anymore because I'm excited about it along with the author. But then how do you choose? Do you just see what catches your eye? online or in the bookstore. Yeah, pretty much. Or recommendation from usually my sister who is on the Instagram account with me because she reads probably five times as much as I do. So we were at an aquarium uh, in the Florida Keys and she's like, we're looking at an octopus tank and she's like, have you read the octopus book? And I'm like, no. So usually from her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to have someone like that in your life. Yes. Okay. For nonfiction, of the philosophical but not boring variety. I'm wondering about Parker Palmer. Have you read anything by him? No. Oh, great. Are you familiar with him? Yes. Okay, because many people, 
as you probably know, who haven't read his work are still familiar with him because he's a regular guest on Krista Tippett's show on being. And he does write slim, compact books that have a lot of heft to them that are, I mean, you could sit down and you could read them in an afternoon, or you could take your time and read a few pages a day for months. It's hard to choose one to start with. And he doesn't put these out terribly often. I've had a bookmark in his latest one that's called On the Brink of Everything. The subtitle is great. It's Grace, Gravity, and Getting Old, which he's writing as an 80-year-old man reflecting on what he's learned and what he knows now. He's someone who is deliberately in his life, publicly engaged in and activated for intergenerational relationships, which don't come easily or naturally to a lot of us just because of the way we live. I mean, he wrote this book with people in their teens and 20s and 30s and 50s in mind, and I just really love his work. So I've been working on that one for a long time. But if I had to choose one place to jump in, I think it would be his 2009 book, Let Your Life Speak. Going to go out on a little bit of a limb and say this is probably his book that's best known. And it's about his own journey to finding his true vocation in life. That's the phrasing he uses. And he's talking about the work that he was uniquely made to do. And he says that each of us has that thing, that we have work we were made to do. And he reflects on how he found that in his own life. You can like kind of come alongside him and read over his shoulder and hear his insights on his journey. And it can be really illuminating for your own. He tells this great story about how he was once offered the presidency at a university and he really wanted to take it. And he talks about how he sat down with his friends, his listening circle, because I believe he's Quaker. And they were like, well, Parker. This sounds like a good opportunity, but why do you want to do it? And at the end of the session, what comes out is maybe my picture would be in the paper and it would look like I was important. They're like, oh, Parker, there are better ways to get your picture in the paper. He tells these really great stories about finding the work, and he uses work very broadly, that is important to us to do in life. And he has this gift for being really insightful, but also witty and warm at the same time. And so for anyone interested in what it really means to live a good life and what that means for not only your decades, but also your days, this is a really satisfying read. How does that sound to you? That sounds amazing. It sounds, Frederick Buechner writes a lot about vocation also, which I have read everything he's written about it. So this sounds like the next step in that. It sounds sounds great. And those authors, I mean, they don't write the same at all. And yet I feel like these authors would be very comfortable and cozy next to each other on the bookshelf. Yeah, I can hear that. That sounds really exciting. I'm, I'm going to read that one soon. Okay, now for a third fascinating, strange book. I want to go browsing at the bookstore with you. That would be fun. Let's just go to Boswell together. <laughs> we can scan the shelves. We'll get lots of good ideas. Now, I don't want to typecast you, Nicole, but you mentioned A Gentleman in Moscow and how it was perfect to read at the Fister. We're looking for something interesting in nonfiction. Well, it doesn't have to be nonfiction, but a book about another girl growing up in another hotel is occurring to me. It's the one by Ludmila Prechushevskia, but it's translated <laughs> into English by Anna Summers. And the book is The Girl from the Metropole Hotel Growing Up in Communist Russia. Is this one that you know? I just saw Amar Tolls came to Milwaukee and he did a presentation about the Metropole and it made me so interested in the hotel. So I would love to read more set there for sure. Well, she did not grow up in 
the Metropole Hotel. She was born across the street. Since this perilous, at times, childhood, as you'll see, she's gone on to become one of Russia's most esteemed authors. But this is the story of what her early childhood was like. So her family did become greatly disadvantaged after circumstances in Russia changed dramatically, which is the backdrop, if not like ever in the forefront of A Gentleman in Moscow. And she grew up during the time when Russia was under Stalin. She slept in freight cars. Finding food scraps was a challenge. It's a fascinating look at a period of history that is often featured in fiction. This is an angle on the story that we don't often hear. It could be a really interesting one to discuss, but I'm mostly thinking about your personal interest in fascinating topics, well told in an interesting voice. Yeah, that sounds really good. I'm really biting my tongue and not telling you to read Walkable City, the urban planning book I love by Jeff Speck that makes sidewalks seem like I just got to read one more page so I can find out a little more before bedtime. But I do (laughs) think The Girl from the Metropole Hotel could be a really fun pick for you. Yeah, that sounds really good. Okay, Nicole. So today we talked about The Stationery Shop by Marjan Kamali, Parker Palmer, especially Let Your Life Speak, and The Girl from the Metropole Hotel by Ludmila Petrushevskia. Of those three books, what do you think you'll read next? And these suggestions are so good. I'm having a really hard time. I would say I think I'll start with The Stationery Shop because that's probably going to be my next favorite book. That sounds perfect for me. So I'll start with that. I support that choice and I cannot wait to hear what you think. (laughs) Nicole, thanks so much for talking books with me today. Thank you. It was so much fun, Anne. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Nicole and I'd love to hear what you think she should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 194 and it's where you'll see the full list of titles we talked about today. You can follow Nicole and her sister's bookstagram account at Biblio Sisters. Readers, next week we have another great episode coming your way with Mary Laura Philpott. She's an essayist, memoirist, and she very well may possess your dream job as she's a bookseller at Nashville's Parnassus Books. I can't wait for you to listen to next week's episode. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We will see you next week. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Vogel and at What Should I Read Next. Our newsletter subscribers are the first to know all the What Should I Read Next news and happenings. If you're not on the list, go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to get our free weekly delivery. If you enjoy this podcast and want more book listening in your life, check out our Patreon page. You can find us at patreon.com slash what should I read next for more behind the scenes sneak peeks, bonus episodes, and more. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekacek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.